Welcome to Dun and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, all things Dominic Dunn. This week, we're taking a little trip back to the East Coast, New York City, in fact, to the toniest hotspot of all the swells in the Upper East Side. It's a little place called Mortimer's. What a scene. It's the scene for all the high society set from 1967 to 1998. Before we begin our episode today, I see a few of you in our spyglass. I want to give enormous thanks to Debbie S. and Kate M. for their support over at Patreon. Thank you for joining the community over there. So grateful for your support there. So grateful for you for coming back to listen today. Not enough thanks in the world to give all of you investigators. You are simply the best. Let's go ahead and dig into our episode. Talk about Mortimer's, established and run by a man named Glenn Birnbaum, who is legendary for so many reasons, and we're going to talk about a few of them today. You may already have heard of Mortimer's if you've read Bonfire the Vanities by Tom Wolfe. Mortimer's is the clubby Upper East Side restaurant depicted in that work. If you have read Dominic Dunn's People Like Us, you will also know Mortimer's. It is all in that book. Chick, one of the characters in the book, is modeled after Glenn Birnbaum. Dominic Dunn will pen an article for Vanity Fair released in June of 1985 called The Mortimer's Bunch. This article is also included in his Fatal Charms and Mansions of Limbo collection. In 1985, this is still in Dominic Dunn's early days of writing. And we all know that Nick is gonna write what he knows about. And friends, in the mid-80s, it's Mortimer's. This is his scene. These are his people in the Upper East Side. All the socialites, all the historic families who flirt with power and scandal and crime. The Upper East Side is Nick's playground for all the gossip. We are introducing quite a number of characters in this episode that we're going to see coming up over our next weeks. Literally littered with people. This episode's going to cover a little real estate. We've got some connections to high society people, also some coming true crimes, again with a special focus on its proprietor of this legendary gathering place. Glenn Birnbaum, from 1976 to his death in 1998, operates the most exclusive of clubs, while being a public place. Glenn is a genius. He's also a curmudgeon. But Lord, if he isn't loved by every single one of those high society people who he arranges so carefully in his place. Who is Glenn Birnbaum? What was the big deal about Mortimer's anyway? What makes it such a scene? Let's investigate. Today, we are going to focus our episode on the Lenox Hill area of the Upper East Side, Mortimer's, the hotspot of the rich and famous. This gathering spot of the swells is located at 1057 Lexington Avenue. This is on the northeast corner of Lexington Avenue and 75th Street. Mortimer's becomes the gathering place from its opening in March of 1976 to its closing after the death of its proprietor, Glenn Birnbaum in 1998. 
But oh, what a scene it was. I'm going to quote Dominic Dunn here opening his piece, The Mortimer's Bunch, from Vanity Fair in June of 1985. Mortimer's, the restaurant on the corner of Lexington Avenue and 75th Street, is the best show in New York. If you can get a table, but don't count on getting a table. Far less well-known to the general public than fancy places like Le Cirque, The Four Seasons, or Latisse, where the concentration is on grand cuisine, Mortimer's is all about ambience. On any given day, you are likely to see, at lunch or dinner, alone or in combination, Jacqueline Onassis, Brooke Astor, Bobby Short, Peter Duchin, Roy Cohn, Marietta Tree, Fran Lebowitz, William S. Paley, Valerian Rabar, Catherine Graham, Mark Hampton, Mariel Hemingway, Oscar De La Renta, Mike Wallace, Patricia Kennedy Lawford, Jean Kennedy Smith, Lord Snowden, Yasmin Khan, Marsha Mason, Cezy Guest, Greta Garbo, Jean Vanderbilt, Jean Vanderbilt, Gloria Vanderbilt, the A-list goes on and on. Can you only imagine how juiced Dominic Dunn is after writing that paragraph? Like, it is a big deal kind of place Mortimer's is, and those are just the clients. Let's meet the proprietor of Mortimer's, Glenn Birnbaum, and get him to opening the hottest spot in the Upper East Side, that is, if you're in the know. Robert Glenn Birnbaum was born April 5th, 1922, in Philadelphia, in a home right off Rittenhouse Square. Pretty posh. His father is in retail. Glenn's dad owns a swanky department store. And Glenn's mom loves fashion and design. She decorates their townhome on Delancey Place with all of the best antiques. The Birnbaums are living a super mainline Philadelphia life, albeit a Jewish family. Glenn does have three siblings. They have fancy schools and tennis and music lessons. They're taken care of by staff. Mom and dad have other things going on, like trips to Europe. Glenn is his mother's favorite, and one presumes he learns some of his good social graces that will serve him so well in life from mom. He'll also learn a little snobbery, perhaps. There's a friend of the family that says of Glenn's mother, nobody was good enough for her. If they didn't come from a very particular background, they weren't supposed to come to the house. I think mom's influence is actually going to work both ways for Glenn. He's got the snobbery as well as the accommodation, if you were the right kind of person, so to speak. Glenn grows up in a certain kind of lifestyle, but all the money in the world sure won't make you straight if you are in fact gay and friends Glenn was. Rumors about his sexual orientation in his teenage years are getting back to the family, and naturally, his snobby mother is horrified. She wants to hear no talk of this. This early fraction is going to get Glenn on the outs with his family, even before his enlistment in the army, which is sandwiched into two segments at the University of Pennsylvania. Glenn really does separate from his family here, and he's not going to have a whole lot to do with them in the future. Glenn will keep all of his previous history and those relationships pretty close to his vest. In his stint in the Army, Glenn does serve in the Psychological Warfare Division, so 
On one level, I suppose that will train you for a career in restaurant management. Glenn will finish at the University of Pennsylvania, and then it is on to taking over the family's retail business when his father passes away, which doesn't go too great. Glenn and his mom are fighting a lot, and mom decides to sell the business. Glenn will float around to a number of jobs in retail, but I need you to know Glenn Birnbaum, not one to suffer fools. Sure, there are other jobs in retail, first in Philadelphia, then on to New York City, but not too many of them last too long. Again, Glenn is pretty sure he knows how to do it better than you, and he's probably going to tell you so. It is in 1959 that Glenn spots an advertisement for a job called Presidential Trainee. The ad is posted by the Custom Shops. And the Custom Shops is a high-dollar chain of New York menswear stores, and their owner, Mortimer Levitt, wants to begin stepping away from day-to-day operations, and he's looking for a protege. Mortimer Levitt gets 400 resumes for this presidential trainee job, including Glenn Birnbaum's, which, when Morton Levitt sees it for the first time, he laughs and laughs, And he tells his wife, Mimi, like, what a hack this guy is to apply for my protege job. Because Glenn hasn't worked anywhere near as fancy as custom shops. And, well, Mortimer's going to toss Glenn's resume into the trash. Doesn't think a thing about it. Oh, that was a very fun, nice belly laugh. No one's more surprised than Mortimer Levitt a few days later when he gets a telephone call from a headhunter that... Mortimer's assigned to look around for presidential trainee for Mortimer too, like he's covering his bases. And that headhunter will call Mortimer and say, I've got a great merchandiser for you, if you can stand him. (laughs) And soon enough, a partnership is born. Glenn's running the place with vision, if not already a little snobby, uh, curmudgeonly attitude. Glenn is friends at the time with Bill Blass and Kenneth Lane. They all go to Europe together to pick fabrics and shop. I mean, Glenn will always have influential friends. Remember that. Glenn Birnbaum runs custom shops for 20 years in an executive vice president role. He'll even stay on four years with custom shops even after Mortimer's opens. So how does Mortimer's get to be a thing? The thing you need to know is that Glenn is and always has been a heavy drinker. He will tell his friend, Mortimer Levitt, I cannot go to sleep without drinking, which is going to give Glenn his best idea. I should open a bar. This would save him from having to go to other bars to drink. He could have his friends over to his bar to drink. It's a genius plan, Glenn thinks. And it starts out as a hobby, this bar that he's going to open. Glenn has plenty of money, and he's going to decide to open a neighborhood place. Nothing too fancy. And he's certainly not expecting the crowd that he is about to get. There is a space available on Lexington and 75th. There was a failed jazz bar there called Tangerine. Glenn is going to buy that place and spend a year getting it ready to open for business. Now, how does Glenn come up with the name Mortimer's? People think, naturally, the place is named for his boss mentor, Mortimer Levitt. But there may be a little bit more to this story. 
Glenn Birnbaum maintains the name comes about from a combination of circumstances that happened around the same time, including a dinner at the London restaurant Morton's. He'll credit along a visit to his buddy, Stanley Mortimer. Just want to drop a hotline on Stanley Mortimer here. Stanley Mortimer is the grandson of one of the founders of the Standard Oil Company. Stanley Mortimer also is husband at one time to Babe Paley, who is Truman Capote's best friend swan. Babe Paley, before she married her husband, Stanley Mortimer, is known as one of the legendary Cushing sisters. The Cushing sisters marry all the money and get the fancy names, and that's a delicious story. Babe Paley will go on to marry William S. Paley and be featured prominently in La Cote Basque. We're going to make a note to get into that one for a future mix in our investigation. Again, also, maybe there was just a little talk with his old boss, Mortimer Levitt, and that's how it got named, too. Glenn says it's a combination. Regardless, Mortimer's is ready to open March 1976. Lex and 75th, ideal location in Lenox Hill. And of course, Glenn, inside at his core, insecure, thinks no one's going to come. But holy cats, the place catches on fast. What makes Mortimer so remarkable? Glenn is, you know, looking for something that's not necessarily for extreme profit. Or maybe he just understands who his customer will be. He knows the upper crust. He was one. He is one. High society is looking for atmosphere and cheap food. Quality, sure. The food can't be terrible and the drinks probably need to be strong, but it's more about the atmosphere, the setting, the people, the placement, the details. And if it is all in the details... This is what Glenn Birnbaum does best. Mortimer's is Glenn's 19-table empire. 19 tables, that's it, in the whole place. The best of those 19 tables is 1B. That's the window table right by the door. Glenn's maxim is, the trick in seating is not where they are, but who they are surrounded by. Older patrons go along the tables on the wall. Younger patrons go down the middle. If you happen to get seated near the kitchen, you aren't that popular at all. A food critic dining anonymously at Mortimer's once described the welcome accorded to walk-ins as a greeting normally given to bill collectors. It's a snobby place, y'all. Again, 19 tables and no reservations, at least for regular people. There's no guarantee that you're actually going to get a seat. There is a bar area with a few seats if you want to try your luck there, but (laughs) it is kind of like the uh, Studio 54 of the restaurant scene. Okay, let's talk about the food. Well, and the menus, really. Because who's doing the menus? This is something I just found so fascinating. For any of my investigators out there who have watched the Netflix program on Halston, In a number of those scenes, you get to learn Halston's relationship with Joe Eula, who is the artist who fashions that whole new backdrop for the Paris show when Halston's original decorations are the wrong dimensions. That's Joe Eula. Joe Eula is an incredible talent. 
and also a big fan of Mortimer's and also a friend of Glenn Birnbaum's. Joe Eula at the time is the executive creative director for Halston, but no problem, Glenn. Certainly, I can write your menus for you. He does the writing. He does the visual arts. They are really, really incredible. I'll post a few of those pictures on Instagram and Facebook so you can take a look. But the menus here, Glenn wasn't kidding. It's simple, fair, and it's cheap. Let's talk about what's on that first menu. Coffee, tea, or milk will run you 50 cents. Desserts vary in price from $1.25 to $1.50. These will include the trifle mortimer, the apple tart, the cheesecake, or sliced oranges. There's side dishes as well. The side dishes are going to run 75 to 85 cents. We have sauté potatoes, snow peas, carrots, toss green salad, maybe a cucumber and dill salad, if that's more your thing. Regular plates, let's see. You can get a hamburger for $1.90. A cheeseburger will run you $2.10. You can get a tasty omelet for $2.50. Eggs Benedict will cost you $3 and a quarter. The most legendary dish at Mortimer's is the chicken hash Mortimer. That'll run you $3.95. Let me tell you how much the most expensive dish on the menu is. $4.95. That's it. Soups, sorry, would run you a dollar to a dollar twenty-five. Truly affordable dining. But it's not the regular menu fare that money that Glenn is gonna make his money with. And again, I don't think for Glenn it's about the money. He'll continue working for four more years at custom shops, right? Before Mortimer's becomes a whole thing. But Glenn will find that private parties are really where the money is. And he knows how to host them. The scene is the thing. And the scene is what we're going to talk about when we come back right after a word from our sponsors. All right, investigators, we're back. Literally from day one, I need to tell you Mortimer's is a hit. Kenneth Lane will bring Diana Vreeland and will give a party to when it opens, to which Elsie Woodward will attend. Bill Blass comes that first day for lunch. Jerry Zipkin is there as well. The location is terrific. The food is cheap. The booze is plentiful. And all my friends are here. It is a winning combination. All right. Now that we've set the scene, I can get into a little bit of Dominic Dunn's writing about this scene because it is so delicious. For Dominic, nine-year-old kid with all of his visions of Hollywood and how much it crashed and burned him, just want you to set in your imagination how excited Nick must have been to have landed back in the summer of the mid-80s interviewing Glenn Birnbaum, the proprietor of the hotspot that is the center of all gossip in New York. In the summer of 1985, Mortimer's has been going on for about nine years with a dedicated and high society clientele. And there's nothing, y'all, that that Dominic likes more. So we're going to visit Mortimer's for a little color. The day that Dunn visits for his interview, just a note here, in the celebrity section, there is Mercedes Kellogg the wife of Ambassador Francis Kellogg, Mercedes is giving a little birthday lunch for Hubert de Givenchy, the French couturier. You had to know that Dominic Dunn's mouth is on the floor. All right. 
taking Dunn's writing here from the Mortimer's Bunch, Gloria Vanderbilt will say Mortimer's is like Rick's Cafe in Casablanca, with Glenn Birnbaum, the owner, in the Humphrey Bogart role. The things that go on in there, she exclaims. And you know he lives upstairs in that incredible place. There's nothing like it in New York. In Birnbaum's stylish apartment upstairs over the restaurant, there is a drawing of his family's townhouse on Delancey Place in Philadelphia. The apartment is one open space, all the walls having been knocked down to achieve the effect of a vast room in an exotic country house. There are lacquered cabinets, paintings of Turkish sultans, a French desk, and sofas covered with fur throws. Over the fireplace hangs a portrait of his late mother, with hands on hips, dark hair cut in bangs, wearing black velvet and pearls, and looking almost exactly like Vita Sackville West. There is a photograph in a silver frame of his mother and her great friend, the opera star Lily Pons, and another of the First Lady, Nancy Reagan, in an affectionate pose with Jerry Zipkin. Over one of the sofas is an 18th century painting of a hound attacking a felled stag. I think Glenn Birnbaum is one of the most charming hosts that I've ever encountered in any establishment, says the record mogul Ahmet Erdogan. He's low-key, he's elegant, he's a gentleman. Irving Lazar, the Hollywood literary agent and social martinet, says that Glenbaum, <laughs> as he calls him, has a genius for seating. Also kind of a neat thing here, Glenn Birnbaum will have a dog at one point in his life, a little pug dog, that he will name Swifty for his friend Swifty Lazar. The name that Glenn originally chose was going to be Este for his friend and patron Este Lauder, but truly Este Lauder thought that having a pug named after her was pretty vulgar, so Swifty it was. Back to Dunn's writing. Birnbaum will deny to you that the restaurant is snobbish, but make no mistake about it, it is. We don't take reservations, you were told, when you phone to book a table. And when you arrive to take your chances, the eyes of the captain at the door can be as unwelcoming as if you had walked into the sacrosanct halls of the Knickerbocker Club or the Brook Club without being a member. Yet there always seem to be tables for the high-profile names of New York. Well, conceded Birnbaum when I asked him about this. We don't take reservations, but we do, of course, take care of our friends. Behind his glasses, the eyes retreated into thought about what he had said, and he qualified his remark. On the other hand, if I see someone who's an attractive person, the kind we want in the restaurant, with inherent style, there's always a place for that kind of person. He thought again and added, If liking people with style is being a snob, then I'm a snob, I suppose. Dunn will continue, kind of weaving in a description of Glenn's character with all the dishy details. I love it when Dunn does this. Birnbaum is a complicated man, paradoxically rude and kind, distant and warm, sad and funny. He is invariably well-informed on the comings and goings of other people. Mrs. Reagan is having lunch at Mrs. Buckley's today, he will tell you. Or, Una Chaplin's apartment burned and she's moved into the Carlisle. Or, I hear Princess Margaret smoking like a chimney and after that lung operation. 
Birnbaum has not been without his own share of gossip and melodrama. While vacationing on the island of Crete in 1975, he was so impressed by a waiter called Stephanos that he asked him to move to New York and work at Mortimer's. It then developed that Stephanos had a wife and child, and Glenn agreed to move them to New York, too. He made Stephanos a captain, and the young man's charm ingratiated him with the regulars of the establishment. But Stephanos gambled, and soon he was heavily in debt to the kind of people who break your legs if you can't pay. Birnbaum, in the meantime, had made out a new will, leaving Mortimer's to Stephanos, and he told Stephanos that he would be his heir. Impatient to pay off the underworld figures who were after him, Stephanos sought to hurry along the inheritance process by contracting two hitmen to do away with his benefactor. His plan was discovered and the two hitmen who arrived at the restaurant turned out to be FBI agents. Stephanos was arrested on the spot, tried, and sent to the slammer. Do you want to add a little bit of a follow-up here? In the subsequent publicity about this, Glenn does a great job playing the debonair proprietor, kind of unfazed about it all, but his friends will tell you he was deeply shaken by this betrayal. Chef Stephen Atto says Glenn came back from the trial with tears in his eyes. Birnbaum's lawyer will say it left a bitter taste in Glenn's mouth. He had a tremendous distrust of people after that. It really scared him. Now, remember, we talked about those private parties. And I think this is the place where, again, Dunn's writing is more effective than I could ever rewrite to tell you this story. So we're going to get into it. Whoa. Again, taking this from Dunn's writing, Birnbaum is famous for the private parties he arranges at Mortimer's. I arrived one afternoon to find Birnbaum arranging white lilacs and pink roses in small glass vases for a private party that evening. He treats each party as if he were the host, and he proudly displays albums filled with color photographs of Cornelia Guest's coming out party, Bill Blass and Oscar de la Renta's party for the publication of Diana Vreeland's book, D.V., and the 1984 Red, White, and Blue Election Night Party hosted by the Ama Erdogans, the Irving Lazars, and the Abraham Ribikoffs. Jill Garbino, one of the three maitres d'hôtel, rushed into the restaurant and delivered six swatches of Liberty of London prints to his employer. The following night, the American-born Lady Keith, known as Slim in the circles in which she travels, was giving a dinner party for 20 in honor of her daughter, Kitty Hawks, from her marriage to the late film director Howard Hawks. Her stepdaughter, Brooke Hayward, from her marriage to late producer Leland Hayward, and her stepdaughter, Lady Camilla Mackison, from her marriage to Lord Keith. Birnbaum wanted to make the evenings, and he fussed and fussed, over which of the six fabrics would make the proper tablecloths for Lady Keith's party. Invariably, he adds extra touches at his own expense if he feels they will make the evening exceptional. He rapidly figured on a piece of paper that each tablecloth would come to $250. I hate to spend that much money and not get something I really like, he said. I can't very well charge Slim Keith for print tablecloths from Liberty of London that she didn't order, but I'll be able to use the tablecloths again, and isn't it more important to get it done right? He looked out the window and patted the back of his head. No one but a nut would agonize like this over a dinner for 20. 
By party time the next evening, the Café Mortimer looked as if it were ready for a children's party, a rich children's party, which is what it was, even though the children were all grown up and divorced themselves. Helium balloons with silver lame streamers hugged the ceiling. The centerpieces were large jars of candy, and wind-in-the-willows beanbag animals anchored the place cards on the candlelit tables, which were covered with Liberty of London tablecloths, rushed to completion for $250 apiece. Dim the lights so we can see how it's going to look, Birnbaum says to Michael Connolly. He crossed his arms and stared up at the balloons. Get me a scissors, he said. Those ribbons are too long. We're going to go ahead and just name dish a few more of these, and I'm going to add a little bit of extra attention to this one because we are going to be visiting a number of these people in the coming weeks. Taste this tofu that Gloria Vanderbilt sent over this morning, said Birnbaum to his chef, Stephen Atto, formerly of the Connaught Hotel in London. Tofu frozen dessert is the latest product carrying the illustrious Vanderbilt name. I must say I never saw ice cream delivered so beautifully, he went on. Her own car, her own driver. Gloria's got style. What do you think of it? Stephen Atto will sample all three flavors and likes them all. In another conversation, Birnbaum says to his chef, Ronaldo Herrero gave a lunch at Le Cirque for Princess Margaret yesterday. It would have been here if the poisson had been cooked properly the other night when Ronaldo came in for dinner. It was underdone, he said. There was a slight reprimand in his voice. Glenn really does like royalty, and apparently royalty really liked Mortimer's. This is such a good story. On one of Princess Margaret's visits to New York, she was entertained at the River Cafe in a small party that included Jack and Drew Hines of the Pickle and Ketchup Hineses and Bill Blass. A ripple of excitement ran through the restaurant as the elegant party made its way to the table. There's Bill Blass, the celebrity watchers whispered, while Her Royal Highness went virtually unrecognized. Princess Margaret was not pleased. The following night, the princess is given a large party at Mortimer's by the Venezuelan socialite and landowner, Ronaldo Herrera, and his dress designer wife, Carolina. Glenn Birnbaum, who had heard the story of the River Cafe, instructed the piano player to play There'll Always Be in England and Rule Britannia, and he prompted the diners in the main dining room to stand and applaud the queen's sister. As the princess was leaving the party, she informed Birnbaum that he had given her her most pleasant evening in New York. That's how you make Princess Margaret happy. Notoriously fussy, that one. There is another night where the king and queen of Spain entertain at the restaurant. Birnbaum is determined to keep their evening private. Glenn says no one knew he was coming, not even the staff. I put the family name on the reservation list. Y'all, this is going to crack you up. Dunn says, what is the family name? <laughs> Glenn says, it slipped my mind for a minute, but I'll, I'll, I'll look it up for you. He did. It was Bourbon. Yeah, the family name, the French line of kings. Good Lord. Glenn goes on. They had a window table in the second room. I seated the king at the head of the table with his back to the window. The security people had a fit because of the Basque separatists. How was I to know the Basque separatists were out to get him? Well, Pierre Cardin was also having dinner in the restaurant the same night 
for the same number of people, and I thought of swapping the tables, but I left the king at the window table. I just moved his seat so that the head of the table was against the brick wall. The next day, the embassy in Washington called to say this was the only place in New York where there weren't TV cameras. I even assigned the waiter who always waits on Garbo to the king's table. Glenn is kind of a genius. Dunn will add this story. One night quite late, three men entered the restaurant, pulled guns, and told the remaining diners to lie on the floor while they emptied the cash register. Glenn says, thank God the Aga Khan and Sally just left. Like, this is the scene. I just, I'm really trying to set the scene. I got just, mm, I got one more dishy dish. Again, coming from the Mortimer's Bunch. Dunwell Wright. It is Rick's Cafe, and he does have a genius for seating. Klaus von Bülow, shortly before his second trial for the attempted murder of his wife, the utilities heiress Martha Sonny Crawford von Bülow, was lunching one day in Mortimer's with Grace, Countess of Dudley, and John Richardson. Directly behind Von Bülow, Birnbaum seated Arthur Schlesinger and Lally Weymouth, the daughter of Catherine Graham, the owner of the Washington Post, even though Mrs. Weymouth had written a series of articles unfavorable to Von Bülow at the time of his first trial. Von Bülow maintained his high profile in New York between trials, by lunching at Mortimer's several days a week, usually with his girlfriend, Andrea Reynolds. He always entered the restaurant like a film star. His detractors, and there are many, voiced disapproval at his presence there. His supporters, and there are many, greeted and joked with him. Birnbaum performed a delicate balancing act whenever Von Bülow's stepchildren, Alexander von Ausberg, and his sister, Olive von Ausberg, who believed him guilty of having attempted to murder their mother, were in the restaurant at the same time as Von Bülow. Birnbaum always seated them at a distance from each other so that no unfortunate incidents could occur. The Von Bülow presence at Mortimer's was not a subject Birnbaum wanted to talk about, but it was unavoidable. He was too good a restaurateur to be unmindful of the theatrical effort Von Bülow had on other customers. I never showed him off, said Birnbaum. He weighed his words carefully. His stepchildren no longer come here, he said. Klaus has never been anything other than a gent. I don't think it's up to me to pass judgment on him. If anybody didn't act properly, that would be another story. Dunn will follow up. Have you ever barred anyone from the restaurant? Glenn replies, several people. Naturally, why? Unpleasant, ungentlemanly, unladylike. Who, Dunn asks. He smiled, shrugged, and didn't reply. I hope I laid out the story for you, with all the swells, good and bad, that are popping in Mortimer's. Kind of a neat thing here. So Dominic Dunn does this article in 1985. When his book, People Like Us, comes out, Dominic Dunn will inscribe a copy for Glenn Birnbaum. Upon Glenn's death, this book does go into auction, which is how we know what this inscription is, but Dunn will write, For Glenn, a.k.a. Chick, there's not too many people like you around. With great affection, Dominic Dunn, June 20th, 1988. Mortimer's continues on. Again, opening in 1976, I want to tell you something he does remarkable in 1996. 
Glenn will launch something called the Fête de Famille. It is a yearly charity block party that the first year raised $7 million for AIDS research for the New York Cornell Hospital. It becomes his charity endeavor and charity event. Again, complicated guy, Glenn Birnbaum. But by 1988, after 22 years making the scene happen, Glenn's friends and patrons are encouraging him to go to the doctor. He's not looking really, really well, and his drinking will literally be the death of him. At the age of 76, Glenn Birnbaum passes away. In his will, Glenn leaves virtually all of his more than $4 million estate to the New York Cornell Hospital for AIDS research and patient care. Glenn will also leave undisclosed bequests to his staff, but nothing to his family. Also in his will, Glenn specifies that the restaurant be shut down immediately and permanently. Birnbaum will insist that there will be no funeral or memorial service. He does not want his friends talking about him when he's gone. But his friends will. They miss him, and they miss the scene he put together terribly. Glenn Birnbaum is mourned in the Upper East Side. Not only as an individual, but the place he created, that special clubhouse where the high society set pretty much had their own clubhouse for going on two decades. Mortimer's is closed upon Glenn's death, and the scene is no more. In the site of Mortimer's today, you can find Orsay, which is a French Parisian style brasserie. Side dishes will cost you 12 bucks. Pretty different from the sauteed potatoes at 75 cents. Desserts will run you in the 14 to 16 dollar range, different than the dollar to a dollar 25. The days of Glenn's Mortimer's are long gone. It is now a fancy French restaurant. The Upper East Side lost a little bit of something there. Fascinating stories that came in and out of Mortimer's. Again, with the fascinating life of its proprietor, Glenn Birnbaum. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning into this episode of Done and Done. There are so many spider webs that we just dropped. Lots of Easter eggs in that one that will continue to steer our journey when we come back for our next Dunday, next Monday on Done and Done. Thank you so, so much for listening. And until we meet again, kind friends, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.